Hey, Sandra. Hey, Carrie. Who are we? <gasps> the Screaming Divas. Screaming Divas. In the woods. We're back in the woods. Please, people, let us out. We need the divas need to get out. Yeah, the divas need to get out of their cages. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, 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 okay. Who did we interview today? Anthony Tomasini, New York Times chief critic of the New York Times, people, and he wanted to come chat with the divas. How honored are we? Unbelievable. Seriously, how many of us singers have had reviews by? Tony Tomasini, yep. or have waited for reviews from Tony Tomasini. I mean, we both have. We both have. Seriously, career breaking, making reviews. These are the reviews, New York Times. If you get a good review in the New York Times, you know that overnight your career can go boom. huge. Huge. And I was, it was when we were talking about people in interview, I really wanted to talk with him because yeah. I wanted to know what had happened for him and writing about even digital content or writing about what, since there have been no live opera performances. You think what about, has happened? Yeah, yeah, all the musicians that are out of work, but hello, this is a gentleman who critiques us and talks about music and there's not been live music. So what has he been doing for this past year? I guess you're just gonna have to tune in and listen. And find out. But thank you. Tony Tomasini, as he gave us permission to call him that, I was like, oh, I feel very special. Um, but thank you for coming on and talking to us about your career. And your, your career, not just as a critic, but as a musician. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yes. Love it. Take a listen, people. Here's a clip. See Stay you. safe. Bye. My mantra is you you think you don't like this art form or classical music, you must hear it live. You've got to be there, you know. Um, then the, the young singers, mature singers today, great singers, the sound of those voices just coming at you in that space, you have to go, you have to hear that, you know. And that, that, that's what will, that is what will always define this art form, I feel. Hi. Hi. How are you? you? Okay. Do we do we call you Tony? Is it Tony's fine? If you're just usually when if you're formally introducing me, it's Anthony, but then just immediately start calling me Tony. Sure. Okay. okay. So hi Anthony. Hi. Tony. <laughs> Tony. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, mm -hmm. thank you. Sure, of course. I my pleasure. Uh, let me say, I, I, during this awful year, it's really several artists like yourselves have taken the initiative to do things like this, to contribute, to keep the dialogue going, to keep passion going, you know, so, that, so I take, I salute you both for that. Hey. I'm happy to be part of it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank we Cheers to that. Right? Yeah, cheers to that. Cheers to the ongoing conversation. Yes, although I think we are... We're all sparkling water today, so you know. Well, I know your history, so I brought a glass of Riesling just in case. Oh, <laughs> that's very sweet. I love that. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing with all of this? Um. Okay. Uh, it's um. Much harder 
on, you know, often when I talk about my work, especially to other artists or to students, I say that what you all do is harder than what I do. Maybe I can help and I can, you know, be supportive, but what you do is really what matters. And the same thing I feel now that, um, yes, journalism has been terribly impacted, and but yet we have a great responsibility. But um, I, we have tried at the times to keep covering what we can cover and report the news and report the bleak news and report the good things that are happening. Yes. And the efforts and it's been just terrible that, I mean, the New York Philharmonic, just the strings played last week at the shed and I went to it and Esa Pekasalanen for this very limited audience, the first thing he said was sort of obvious but hearing it come from him was very profound. He said, one thing we've learned during this year there is no substitute, none, none, for live performances, you know, before live audiences. And I think all of you, all, we all are counting, hoping, come September, we're back to normal, you know, like that has to happen. It should happen. I think it will, but, you know, we're, we're, we're we can't be a hundred percent certain, but it looks good. And Thank God it can't come soon enough. I know. I know. I, you know, I, I read that they're doing, um, because I live down here in Nashville, I read that they are going to open up the amphitheater, which is an outdoor open, kind of like a Santa Fe theater in a way where yeah. it's open on the sides, but closed on the top. And they are going to do um, an opera, 90 minute, no intermission. But right. I thought, and they're only going to have like 800 tickets available, but I thought I, I don't want to miss that. I just, I need right. to hear it myself. I don't not only need to be standing on stage, but I need to hear this. I need to hear the live music. So, right. um, so I'm at least, at least summer, we have some hope that things are going to happen because we can be outside and do this. We, right. We've done yes. it. We've been to these, whether I, you know, we've sung on stages at Santa Fe or not. Um, we know that that can at least happen. So Right. And Glimmerglass and Tanglewood and Car the Caramore Festival. There, yes. these places that are mostly outdoors or mm -hmm. are, are have have things happening, which is which is great. One thing, I mean, not to start all off so bleakly, but uh, <laughs> one thing the pandemic has revealed about the field is that the, the um, economic support structure for classical music was already so fragile, and what everyone forgets is that. 99, I mean, uh, some people have jobs, I know, but most artists are freelancers. Yep. You live gig to gig. Yes, the do. gigs go away, so does your income. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's just really, we have to somehow find structures to support artists year round, you know, like- We're looking for that benefits. here. We're yeah. looking at a basic, basic income. Uh, for all artists, it's being yeah. discussed here in Canada, and I think worldwide, we we yeah. are essential. We are yes. an essential part of society, and yeah. without arts, all including you know reviewers, critics, musicians, everything, dancers, artists, we need them to to yeah. be a complete society and a complete human. And I'm absolutely with you. Of course, yeah. Oh, I mean, I think because I've been through the trenches of it in the last year, um, mm -hmm. the United States government is not prepared for us, is not prepared to help us in these situations because what we do is 
you know, I'm an LLC, I'm contracted like what you said, and right. nothing, even the PPP has been an absolute nightmare right. for people like myself who might not have scheduled or filed a scheduled C. We I filed different forms based on Trump's tax code that he changed in 2018. Exactly. So yeah. this they don't understand what I do and why right. I'm asking for either unemployment or help with a PPP loan or an right. SBA loan or something like that because I do have legitimate income and in earnings, you know, for past years and made great money. And now all of a sudden it's, you know, they don't, un it's, it's insane. It's insane right. what I've had to explain to people. Right, right. No, it's, it's, we, all these things have to be looked at carefully now. Definitely. Well, it took a pandemic to, to modernize yeah. opera, but yeah. <laughs> you know, listen, I mean, opera was, was so stuck in the dark ages. And I think that this is going to help us moving forward when we can get back right. to because I'm sure you would agree yeah. with that, that opera was just not in 2021, not even close to being modernized. No, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, and so much of what, when they talk about modernizing an art form like opera, it's amazing how much they think of staging and what goes on on stage and <laughs> and that's just part of it right. that's only but that's not the support structure that's not the whole underpinning mm -hmm. of the art form you know uh, mm -hmm. um it's we're not just talking about modern productions which are great you know but uh, uh it's yeah there's a lot of work to do yeah well i think step by step I think we're getting there and I think a lot of people's eyes have been open now in our in our art form and hopefully going forward. Yeah. So what has it been like for you and and then going forward because it looks like the digital platform is here to stay in our art form from who we've interviewed even on this own platform. So what is it like for you for someone who has had an amazing career and being at the New York Times for, oh, am I right? It's, it's over 20 years for sure, the position yeah. I've had. Um, as, as it, am I saying this correct? The head critic, what is your official title? It's chief critic. Chief, chief critic classroom of, music critic, yeah. of the New York Times. So uh, I, got, I got that gig in 2000. I joined the Times in 1997 on staff. Okay, yes, that's what I read. So what does that, I'm, I have multiple questions because sure, how, has it, how has it changed over the years? And then how has it changed for you now? And then now knowing that we have digital platforms and having to review that, what does that look like or mean or feel like to you? Going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, the, um, let me say first how I think of criticism and what my job is. And, um, and critics think of it different ways and do it differently. But I, I from the start, I, f I have felt criticism to me, a, a review is a combination of opinion column and news report. It's not 50-50, you know, but it, it, it depends. Sometimes I have a strong opinion. Sometimes I don't have a strong opinion. Okay. If, there, if there's a new if there's a new opera, if Sandra sings the Donizetti trilogy, you know, like mm -hmm. there's a lot of news to report. Just mm -hmm. what is this thing? You mm -hmm. think, you know, like what's its legacy? What does this mean for her? What does this mean for the Met? You know, um, 
there, what are the productions like? You know, all that is descriptive, but then also what do I think of it? What is my take on it? You know, mm -hmm. what is, what did it uh, make me feel? How did it make me react? So it's both and, and, and you, you have to balance those things out. And in the pandemic, when the pan what the pandemic has sort of taught me, I think, is that the background context side of what my, I report is maybe even more important than I thought. Okay. That wh what's at stake here? You know, like uh, what's at stake for this artist, for this institution, for this composer? Mm -hmm. um, what what risks are they taking? What chances are they taking? You know, like um, that. I, I think I, I think it's more important for me to to deal with that. Now, the other thing you asked about platforms. Well, that's been changing. Um, you know, I mean, there were already rich video things and stuff, but but uh, and obviously during the pandemic, all sorts of artists from the violinist Jennifer Coe commissioning forty short pieces. You know. Uh, and for violin and playing them in her apartment, you know, <laughs> to organizations really putting on whole productions right. and, and, you know, be, be without in empty houses and stuff. Mm -hmm. All that is great. It's been great. Um, it's, I, I think all of us at the times anyway have felt not quite right in doing a real all out review of something that's li li live streamed. It's okay. not, quite fair, you know, like it's, um, there, there's, there are too many unpredictable things. Right. It's not the ideal art, you know, platform, but yeah. obviously it's great and we should call attention and we should sing the praises of these things when, you know, and there's much to praise, but it's not, it's not quite, doesn't quite call for a, re a review. Um, uh, so that, that, that has been interesting, but um, yeah. Um, I mean, I could talk more if you want about criticism and how I do it. Well, and uh, yeah, but, I'd like to know that. What What do you think is the most important uh, component of a good review, or criticism in general? Um, how did it start? How did critics start? I mean, everybody has an opinion. I yeah. <laughs> um, there is a phrase, and I probably shouldn't say it on here, but everyone has one, and you know, we all, you know, everyone has a different opinion. Absolutely, yeah. Um, there's a wonderful story, a little anecdote that Virgil Thompson, the composer who was a famous critic for at the New York Health Tribune, wrote. He said, um, looking for something to compare criticism to, and he said, "It's always interested me when I go to Spain and I see children playing at bullfighting. That there's the toreador and there's the bull." And it takes three people because a third person has to be stand and watch and go ole. <laughs> you know, like meeting those people in the audience doing that, right? You know, and that's essential to the art form. And critic, I mean, on some level, I'm just another audience member. You know, like I'm there to hear. To I'm there as a music music lover to savor it, to take it in but I have the responsibility of articulating what's going on. And that's the news reporting angle of it. You know, what, what does this represent for the institution? Is this a breakthrough? Mm -hmm. And also a, a lot of the reviewing job is description. Just describe the music, describe the performance, describe the voice. That's not easy, you know, like, um, 
and uh, so that's what I'm there for. Like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm there to, to, to use, bring everything I know as a musician and critic and writer to bear and to share, you know, to report it, to share. Um, one thing that I, I do, I, I will never stop thinking of myself first and foremost as a musician, as a pianist. That was my whole training mm -hmm. was in music. And uh, I got my doctorate in piano and uh, I made some recordings. I was doing a lot of concerts. I, I taught a lot mm -hmm. and I lost my teaching job. And I sort of, in the mid eighties, I kind of fell into this. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought of myself as a musician who writes about music, you know, who, who reports on music. And I think one thing that does for me is that it, it makes me, um, it, it gives me insight as a performer but it also gives me sympathy in a way. I've been there. I know how hard it is. You know, I'd be the last critic to say that a pianist had a little momentary memory lapse or a soprano cracked on some note or something. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I wouldn't even, unless it's happening all night and there, there's some indication that there's a problem. But you know, just right. an occasional thing, you know. Right. No, 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 of course, that just, that just happens. But I'm very sympathetic. I'm I don't know. This is a riff. Maybe I'll go off on. But I'm particularly. Um, it's particularly. I have great sympathy, especially for singers. Partly because I'm not one, and every instrumentalist, we are all poor imitators of the human voice. You know, like um, <laughs> that, that. That we we try. We can't. We can't do what singers can, but we try. Um, but singers. I have always felt, and also the other wonderful thing about singers is that no two voices are alike. There's so much character and personality in each voice and each sound, and and that's that's wonderful. Um, and no two days are alike. But I, I performances are alike. I, that's true. Absolutely, your 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 body, you know, is your instrument. I mean, like you feel well, you don't feel you like all sorts of things can. But I always feel that singers. It's opera singers, especially, it's tough. You know, 18-year-old, um, young woman, 18-year-old violinist shows up and, at Juilliard. She's brilliant. She's played concertos. She's played chamber music. Mm -hmm. You know, she's all set to go. She needs maturing. An 18-year-old soprano shows up at Juilliard. She's just starting. Yep. She's just figuring out the dimensions of her voice. Mm -hmm. she's even, she may even be figuring out Am I really a soprano? I think I am, but, or what kind of soprano? You know, yes, yeah, yeah, like it's a different, you know, um, and, and it's like in your late 20s, you're still figuring out yeah. what is my voice for? And then just as you figure it out, it just starts changing. Yeah. On you, you know, like, <laughs> especially for women. Yeah, like menopause. Yes, but, yeah. I'm like, good God. This is a, a little randomness, but do you ever, because as a performer, and especially over in the last probably five to 10 years where the money is less and less, we don't, there's not enough money for these opera houses to have the long rehearsal period times that actually give us enough time to put something that gels well together. Sometimes it's really fast and furious depending on everybody's schedule. Sometimes I feel like the show doesn't really hit its stride until performance four, performance five. And I always wish that the critics would come back yeah. <laughs> or, or maybe just not go to opening night. I mean, sometimes opening nights are amazing because we have had the time and all that kind of stuff. But I've just, have you personally ever gone back 
because I know that you guys usually do the the opening nights, but have, have you ever gone back through a run to watch something again to see what has happened or if anything's changed or if it changed your mind or your opinion about a, a certain performer? I absolutely have. I know all of my colleagues have, especially if it's an unusual piece or sometimes a premiere. Okay. Or, or especially if, if I, I, what you're describing, that it's really good, but didn't quite work. I can tell it's still a little, let me go back and see if it will you know, kick in now. So I, I have done that. I once uh, did a kind of Q&A online, uh, back and forth uh, online with readers asking me questions for a whole week. And someone oh, asked cool. that. Why don't you go to the, you know, the, in opera, sometimes the first performance is really like a dress rehearsal. You know, yes, like you know, it um, is. Yeah, yeah. And I wrote back and I said, that's very true. But there is a, there's another thing going on here. It's called news, you know, and if it opens up, you know, we have to be right. there. You know, right, right, right. But, but yes, one thing people think about, oh, the deadline's so hard. You have to go rushing home and churn out something and by the latest, like by 10 a.m. the next morning at the latest. And I've done things overnight, you know, like, wow. um, um, but but certainly by the next morning I have, but in a way that's terrible pressure, but in another way, it's sort of, I like what it implies that a review is saying, look, I was there last night. This is what I thought. Right. You know, yeah. This is my first impression. If I thought about it for a week, maybe I feel differently. Mm -hmm. If I went back again, Maybe I'd feel differently. You know, Alex Ross at The New Yorker is, one, is a very good friend and he's a wonderful critic. But his job and my job are very different because he inevitably will go to the production at the Met or some new you know, uh, work or something. Um, he'll be there also, but his magazine article doesn't come out for a couple of weeks. Right. So he's seen all the other reviews right. And he knows that his readers have seen the other reviews. Okay. So he has to stand back a little and offer a different kind kind of take, you know. Yeah, um, kind of an all-encompassing. Exactly, yeah. He, in a way, I think he reviews the reviews or or comments on oftentimes on the reviews. <clears throat> You're right. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a larger context commentary, yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you ever gone to a performance and just didn't know what to write? But we're just yeah, but I, it's not uh, not for the reasons um, you might think. Um, mostly, it's for things that are middle middling. They're so so. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, if it's you know, this happens more in symphonic repertoire than in opera. Um, for example, the if the Philharmonic plays a very standard repertory program, the Eroica Symphony on it, you know, like in a way, and say it's good, it's not amazing, it's good, you know, they're always good. Mm -hmm. There's just not that much to say about it. Mm -hmm. Even Beethoven's Eroica, like, uh, we all know it, we all love it, it happened again. You know, like um, uh, there, there's, yeah. um, there's, there's not that much news there, there's not, it's a little different enough. Boheme, I can't, or Tosca, I can't even imagine how many times I've heard heard them. But um, every opera is a little different, as you know. The people are different. Yeah. There are no two Marcellos, you yeah. know, no two Musettas who are like. It's always got a little character, a little personality. 
So I seldom feel that at Opera House. There's okay. always some personal thing, you know, to write about. Um, I may not have great insight into the, the work itself that mm -hmm. night, but at least there's a singer or an impression that someone made that is. But in a symphonic concert, sometimes I think, I have nothing to say. You know, there was no news here. You know, mm -hmm. unless I often I say I could write a review saying, "Why is the Philharmonic playing such a boring program?" You know, right? I could do that. So, um, so when I started in this business and got to the point where I could be reviewed by someone of your caliber, it was a huge deal to be reviewed by you. And I'm not just saying that I mean it's the truth. There were a handful of you all in the country and in the U.S where we could not wait to see what you were going to say. And then as time went on, all of a sudden the market got flooded with bloggers, with people, you know, blogs became a big thing and everybody had their own opinion out there and it changed it. It changed the landscape for us performers because we were using your review to pitch ourselves to Paris Opera, to Vienna, to wherever to say, hey, this is what her latest comments and reviews and about performances were. But those bloggers changed everything. Do you have an opinion about that or how that has changed in the last, what is it, 10 years maybe that that's yeah. happened? Um, it's a very interesting question. And um, the you it depends upon how you look at it. You what you're getting at is the authority of a New York Times critics review. Um, is if everybody is a critic, if there's so many voices out there, if, if basically online you could start an, a, a conversation about last night's performance, does it matter what I thought? Um, and at the times, the other way to look at it is that because there's so much out there, so much chatter, so much opinion, so much uninformed opinion or yes. mean opinion, yeah, like um, that maybe all, more than ever, what the what you know, uh, professional um, edited critics at a place like the Times with its authority, maybe in a way our role is more important. Um, True, you know, uh, maybe, and you know, people have. You're asking in a way like the authority I have. I, I I try not, I mean, I take that, I'm humbled and I'm honored and I know it's a big responsibility and I take it very, very seriously. And I know, let's face it, it's influential. I know that, yeah. you know, but on another level, if I get caught up with that, I freeze. I wouldn't know what to, to write. At sure. some level, I have to, much like opera singers, I have to say, hey, it's me, you know, yeah. this is me. Right. I learned the right to write, but, but it's just me. I could be wrong. It's just my subjective op opinion, you know. I know that, again, I, opera, um, Renee Fleming has talk, talked about this a lot, Very that the, the comparisons are so hard, you know, for all. Like, you know, Sandra, you can sing the Donizetti Queens, and the last thing you want is, well, what about Collis? What about Sullivan? What about Sills? It's like, no, no, no. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's me. This is me. Right. You know, oh, like this. Yeah. <laughs> it's about me. But That's it's, it's trying to put us in boxes because it's easier to to describe them 
if you say, you know, Sandra is like Callis or, right. you know, Carrie is like Birgit Nielsen. And it's right, right. for people in their minds then to the comparisons. But thank you for saying that. It, and yeah. really for saying that too, because some people don't fit in boxes. Right. And no, no. People, it's, it's hard to describe exactly. Yeah. Also, also, by the way, uh, uh, Collis and Sullivan and Sills, they're not here. I'm here singing, you know, like. Yes. I I'm the one doing it. You know, like. I know. How would, you, how would you describe what, in your opinion, as a critic, is the thing that you look the most for in, in a singer or the best quality? What would you, how would you describe a great opera singer? Yeah, it, it, it's um, with, with, again with voice. It's it's a special category because um, sounds are so different. Uh, the personality and character of a person comes through in their singing. I think I'm convinced, you know, and um, uh, uh, so I, I, I you do look for a, a distinctive quality to the voice, to the sound, something that seems personal. That doesn't mean like it has to be a sound like nobody else's. There are some, Dmitry Varshavsky famously had a very recognizable sound, you know, mm -hmm. it was this gorgeous, beautiful sound. Um, but, and, but not some singers that really do have distinctiveness don't have quite that kind of, you know, uh, ID sort of, and and, mm -hmm. that, that, uh, and they're still distinctive and personal. So I look for that too, I really do. Um, and that's ultimately what moves me, but then there's a whole acting dimension to it. And I don't mean just the actual performance, I mean acting with the voice. Right. That you can, you want, you think of opera and passion and, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, but as you all know, you can overdo that. It can go too far. Yes, it can. Yet on the, yet on the <laughs> other hand, you're, you can try to be tender or, or or cool, and that doesn't work too. You've gone too far in that direction. Mm -hmm. you, know, so you have to find the right balance. And so I, I look for that in a singer. Are they, um, and then finally, uh, the musicianship. Are the, uh, I mean, I guess, because I'm a performer too, it, it's, um, are the, sometimes, especially with older classic, golden era recordings, you know, you'll listen to even Lotta Lehman or something and I'll, I'll think, yeah, yeah, but gosh, she's not singing in time. You know, like it's, uh, I think today you, you all have conservatory training and mm. th these matters have been drilled into you a little bit more and American singers and North American singers, you know, like that you can I have to tell you though, sometimes those recordings, even ones that are going on today, sometimes it's not necessarily the singer that's wrong. It's the singer arguing with the conductor and saying, no, I'm going to sing this my tempo. You better right. follow me. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that happens. And, mm -hmm. um, but sometimes I feel it's just for the sake of an expressive turn. That right. Someone will just distort. A, and I think, no, it's a, it's a, it's a dotted note. I want to hear the rhythm. Yeah, you know, okay. so those, those things matter to me. You know, where you hear um, somebody, a singer drilling singer in the Collis master classes at Juilliard? It's incredible how precise she is about no, yeah. she wants those rhythms exact. And then also the words matter tremendously, you know, like Huge. Uh, the, the diction, not, and as you know, it, I'm not just, it's not just a matter of diction. It's not that that's part of it, but do you make the words matter? 
do the words drive the vocal line? You know, do the the phrase are they, you're saying something? You know, um, and that I'm a huge fan of the great art of musical theater singing because th those are those often those voices are actors first. They right. sing like actors. You right. Know? And it's amazing when someone does that. The actual quality of the voice doesn't really matter as much because it comes, to, it just leaps off the stage at you. Yes. And I think sometimes what you all do, what opera singers do is so amazing, so wondrous vocally that some singers can get so caught up with that. Yeah. With, you know, with the making of beautiful, that, that you forget, well, what are you singing about? You know, <laughs> you know, where's well, the we don't take the time. You know, yeah. a lot of us, I, I would say pre-pandemic, a lot of us were so just on, you know, running, 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 running that we would learn a role and a lot of young artists too, you know, learn a role and not really, really understand what, what it was about, what we were saying, the character and taking the time like they used to do back in Cowles' time to really study a role. And I right. think it shows when you, when you know what you're saying and when you don't know what Yes, it does. It's like a big, I feel like it's a neon light. Like, yeah. yep, I didn't know what that phrase meant, and all of you saw it. Yeah. <laughs> dead eyes, I call it dead eyes. You know, you just kind of go, oh. <laughs> right? You know, to, to spin off, if I could turn around the interview a little bit, since we're sort of talking about this, can I ask what? Sometimes when I've interviewed singers, what, how much is, do you see, the acting component of what you do, as, uh, is it? just part of it or is it most of it or would you could you have imagined if you didn't have the voices you do could, do you think you might have been drawn to the theater did, did, did is acting where does the acting come into or is opera acting just so different because you act so much with the voice some opera singers have learned that you know in this aria in this moment maybe it's not I don't need to do too much. I have right. to sing. I know maybe on stage in a, a play it would be different, but you with opera, you, know. you have to trust. The, I'm I'm going to go first, Carrie. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah. I think you have to trust the emotion of what you're saying, and sometimes if you just stand and sing from your heart and from your right. soul, it's more touching to the audience. And William Friedkin, who we interviewed here on this show, great director, not just of opera, but yeah. of movies, yeah. said to me once, you know, just Sandra, I don't want you feeling it. I want the audience to feel it. Right, right. And it's a difference between the two because Carrie and I, I think we're both singing actresses. And there's, there is a difference, I think, because right. we both have training in, in acting. But for me, it, it's, it's, I have a hard time. Yeah, there you go. I knew Carrie said. I have a hard time differentiating now in my career, singing and acting because they so are so intertwined. Am I right here? And how do you approach it? No, I think it has to be both. I was. I we both have been so lucky with the directors we worked with over our careers. But I was so lucky to have that early on. That one of my big first things was with Christopher Alden. And I, I drank the Kool-Aid because I said, well, I feel it this way. I hear it this way. My emotions are telling me this within your framework and story. What do you think? And it was this wonderful dialogue that went back and forth and also teaching me in where an acting line was, can I cross that? 
Also, you're learning how to figure out how to sing that emotionally in a way, because sometimes it's so emotional, we all can break down. I mean, there's Elsa Vandeheever is like the one singer I know on this planet that can cry and sing at the same time because mm -hmm. I've done it with her on stage. But um, I, uh, we all, Sandra and I have lines that we go to because sometimes it is so emotional and we are so invested in that character that, what am I trying to say, Sandra? You know what I mean? That it, it affects vocally. You, that's what rehearsals are for. You exactly. have to sometimes emotionally distance yourself. And also sometimes when we feel it, when we as artists feel it so much, just <laughs> to tears, people in the audience are kind of like, mur, mur. <laughs> not you as the public felt. Right. It comes from doing it and, 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 and learning from people that teach you how to take that so that it crosses the footlights because that's the whole point is that the story that we're telling needs to reach you my goal is always to have that audience in the palm of my hand where i don't hear a sound where i know that i have them because they're with me on this emotional journey through the story that we all are trying to tell i think that's what's mm -hmm. those are the performances i live for not only for myself but for ones that i go to the audience to watch i want to be transported out of my life and what's going on around me. And I want to go on somebody else's emotional journey. With Where time kind of, there was no time. There was no concept of time. Right. There was no concept of character. And yeah, and you just feel transported. Now, some people can, can do that just with their voices. There are, are yeah. those performers that can do that. But the majority of us use both. And I think right. when, when Sondra was saying that stillness to, is also one of the most powerful tools in our wheelhouse yeah. is stillness. So. There is, you have to know when to use that, when it's appropriate and when it's not. Didn't ask yeah. this question. <laughs> yeah, what, Sorry. What, was that, uh, Alden production, was that the Don Giovanni? At, at, uh, that was an amazing production. I loved that production. I did too. Everybody in that cast, that was great. The also, it also was a, 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 it was proof to those who doubt what is modern contemporary production. It showed that it just a simple concept can unlock so much, you know, can take you so deep into that piece. Yeah. Um, and yet it was, it was playful too, you know. It was, I mean, I mean not take the time to, to invest the energy right. in learning who we are, not just as singers, but who we are as people and taking that and using that in the production. People like David McVicker, people yeah. like David and Christopher Alden, mm -hmm. who, who actually love their art form right. and love the whole process of picking it apart right yeah and and i and that they the people that they're working with it's working with it's not this is my concept do it it's i want he's meeting me where i am and where i am on in my own life my own emotional journey whatever it is and we're figuring out a story that reads and tells and also to be open to someone who is so brilliant. I mean, these, these people are so brilliant in what they do. And sometimes their ideas are like, oh, what? You want me to do what? You want me to sing something that wasn't even written for Donna Elvira? Are you crazy? And uh, so just to be open to that idea and to express that. And um, no, I'm glad that you love that production. That production changed my career and changed my life. And, um, and that I have a special place in my heart for that. Yeah. Collaboration. Mm. So what, if you had one performance in your lifetime that you yeah. say, done, you know, if you had to just replay, put it that way, there's one performance in your life that you could just push on replay and be happy for the rest of your life. 
Do you have one of those? <laughs> I know. So hard, but you know, um, from years of therapy, you learn to you know go to what what popped up into my head was I was 16, and I had um, very close up standing room at the Met, and it was Otello with Tabaldi, and um, <sighs> I mean whom I I heard I've heard I heard her several times. Even when I was in college at Yale, she came to Yale and did a concert with the orchestra, but I heard her at the Met. This was the old Met and um, the last days of the old Met. And um, it, I was new to the opera and the, everything that we've, expression, um, the character, in the last scene, uh, the last act, the sound, I, I just thought, wow, this sound, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And um, Gosh. that was the, um, that was the night that people would not let her go. She finally came out during, during uh, ovations with her overcoat over her costume. <laughs> they got a signal, I gotta go. Um, and uh, it, it just, but I, you know, like, it's funny. I, I'm from a very unmusical family. I, I found all of this on my own. Okay. It was my own. And I just was in opera, especially, I mean, in concerts, I went to hear Rudolf Serkin and Leonard Bernstein and all these people, but in opera, my first Otello with Desdemona, with the Desdemona was Tobaldi. My first Aida was Leontine Price. Yeah. Oh. My first Turandot was uh, Nielsen. My first Lucia, I hardly knew the piece was Sutherland. <laughs> oh my God. I, no, I read this about you and I was dying. I mean, when I'm, yeah. I'm like, what? I'm like, oh my gosh, you were yeah. so lucky. So, so no, lucky. Plus, the other thing is that so I, I'm in high school. I fall for, this is the weird thing about, amazing thing about my career. So I hear Tobaldi, I can't believe it, you know, and finally she retires in 1976. 20 years later, she comes back to New York, she there this kind of silly biography written about her, but she came to pr promote it, and um, I I think I was ninety six. I would have been uh, maybe I wasn't even on the staff of the Times yet, but I was writing for the Times. Okay. And who does and who gets to interview her for this visit to New York? Me. So I sit down with her and I interview her and I and I spent some time with her over a couple of days. Um, then, fast forward, when she died, who wrote her obit? I wrote her obit. So if you had told me when I, had, when I was a 16-year-old with standing room <laughs> that someday I would meet her, I would interview her, I would write her New York Times obit. It's like, what? Un unbelievable. You know, like, <laughs> it's incredible. Paths our, our lives take, you know? Yeah. You just never know. But that's just what... That what that's what adds to your reviews and your critiques because you have all of that past information and you can compare and contrast and and that bag of tricks that you have in your ears is amazing. It's but it's also the immediacy. It, it gets carried to what you were saying, asking about the digital platforms and how, how it's changed stuff and uh, what Solomon said at that concert last week that there will never ever ever 
be, and that was one thing I learned. I remember in the balcony of this high up for Price's Aida, and again, I was did, hardly knew the piece, but when she, in the last scene, when she has the vision of the angels, you know, and the music goes floating, that, that these soft, radiant high notes would just come up to the balcony and surround me. Yeah. It's like, that's opera. It's not just this, it's no. that opera. Yeah. And so, yes, I have those memories, but I also, what I keep, say, my mantra is you, you think you don't like this art form or classical music, you must hear it live. You've got to be there, you know. Um, then the, the young singers, mature singers today, great singers, the sound of those voices just coming at you in that space. You have to go here, you have to hear that, you know. And that, that, that's what will, that was what will always define this art form, I feel. And, yeah. and so, yes, uh, we, we don't have the, the singers from the other, this, these earlier generations, yes, we adore them. But now it's it, what matters are the singers today, you know, like yeah. so, and yeah. who's keeping this alive. So that, that, that's, yeah, I, 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 that's what I try to get across when writing about these things. You know, um, talking about those seats up there in the nosebleed section at the Met are still some of my favorite seats. I still love to go up there and start the show up there and then come down for the second half because there's just something about the sound that's up there reverberating around that dome that is, it's really quite spectacular. I, I did a lot as a student because, you know, that was all I could afford. It was either standing room or up there. And then I'd kind of wait and see who didn't show up or who didn't use their seat and then kind of sneak down and get, get down so I could see the blood, sweat, and guts that was happening <laughs> yeah. uh, close up, so. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the, the things, it's actually, some people argue the best acoustics of the Met are, are up there. I agree. And, and the balances are perfect up oh. there with the orchestra. Yeah. And you know, the sight lines are excellent. You see everything. everything. It's, it's, you're a little far, you know, yep. but, but, that, but that's okay. And I'm sure it's hard for singers too, to think, oh my God, I have to fill this house, but actually the, your voice does carry, but you can't think about it in any opera house. Yeah. If, as, if you trust the acoustics, you just have to trust your voice and let it, you know, singers with um, Natalie Desai did not have um, by any means a, this huge, big voice, but she, it's the way she, she supported her voice beautifully. Mm -hmm. And and the sound just, there it was, it just came out, you know, like. It's about, um, about finding the opera house and putting that point in the voice, I think too. Because yeah. if you keep it very concentrated, like Natalie right. does, and yeah. also in the Met, you know, so many people think that they have to over sing to fill it, but the acoustics with being built the way it is with the same wood in the opera house, like all around it, you don't need to do that. And sometimes doing less actually is more. Right. You just have to think about each opera house has slightly different acoustics and the Met is perfect. It really right. is. They built it wonderfully. I mean, right. but it is really exciting to hear honestly, some, somebody like yourself, Sondra, with a cannon, and when you let that cannon out, when you let it loose, it's really exciting to hear that in a big space like that. <laughs> I gotta say. Yeah, no, 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 it's great. Of course, it's very thrilling, and we all love that, and I'm sure it's a ton of fun to do it, um, and, and uh, when, when you can do that, I know, of course, that's a thrilling thing about opera, too, and uh, 
uh, Alfred, another in Boston, uh, Boston Opera Company of Boston in the 70s, I guess it was uh, John Vickers in oh. Fidelio and Sarah Caldwell's production um, in, in act two when the, cur when the curtain goes up in the prison, mm -hmm. it was so dark you could hardly see anything, you know, and then you hear these chains rattling and gradually you begin to see the glimmer of a figure there. Mm -hmm. And then the voice comes, God, oh my God. <laughs> There's another one of those memories that yeah. you're getting great. But I, I, and I remember leaving that performance thinking that is probably exactly what Beethoven had in mind, that, that impression. Yeah. of that voice coming out of the darkness. Yeah. You know, what darkness here, you know? Gosh, like, I mean, <laughs> just listening to this, I'm like, please, whatever in the universe is out there, we need to get back into the theater. Yeah, we need I to mean, I don't yeah. even necessarily have to be standing on stage. I can just be sitting in the audience. Like I need it. I need it for my soul to hear this live again. It's just been too long. Do you yeah. think you're gonna listen to performances differently now after this mm -hmm. pandemic? I think I will. I think we all will. It's, um, uh, I think we're going to find it very precious and terribly moving. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's amazing because I think uh, what we have to be careful of in the profession is just thinking that just returning, just coming back and the status quo is going to be enough. That and if anything, because we've been through this, and also all the racial justice protests, and which institutions to their credit have taken to heart, at least in what they say, and in classical music too, saying we do have to think about this. Mm -hmm. You know, it, what can we do differently? How can we be more inclusive? Right. You know, how can we make this is an art form for everyone? You know, and and we, we how what are we not doing? You know what? What? What must we do? The Met is assuming it opens as as um, planned. It's going to open with the first opera by a black composer in the history of the Met. You know, Terence Blanchard, "Fire Shut Up in My Bones." Now, I covered the premiere of that opera in St. Louis. Okay. And it's terrific. And okay. it's terrific. So great, terrific. That's great that the Met is going to do that. The other question is, what took so long? <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, um, when this you'll love this story about Beverly Sills was late in making her debut, you know, at, at, at the at the Met. Uh, it, it was shockingly late, but she finally did. And then um, the, the Met said, OK. And she said, yes, I will, on one condition that you hire the wonderful conductor and my good friend from Boston, Sarah Caldwell. And the Met said, okay. And that's the reason that Caldwell became the first woman to conduct at the Metropolitan Opera. Beverly, Hill, Beverly Sills stuck up for her, yeah. you know? And uh, since then, there have been surprising, uh, there have been about six, I think it's up to now. Okay. Women have, and and the, what, you know, like that. So this, we do have to keep the pressure on both internally and from as from artists, but certainly externally by me as a critic, that you know we have to think about these things. We have to change, and the and living composers and the cause of new music and new opera. This has been my passion, and we have to fight for all that. 
Yeah. And, you know, and if anything, we have to fight even harder, you know, um, for inclusiveness and diversity and new artists and new composers. Mm -hmm. That at the same time that I agree, just hearing a young, youngish cast or a good cast in La Boheme is going to be overwhelming. You know, like it's just um, it it's going to think, wow, you know. I know. We should never take this for granted, you know. Yeah, for sure. What else do you think needs to change in opera besides, you know, the, the what we just talked about? Are, are there other aspects you think we need to focus on that we as viewers or we as singers, as musicians? Or yeah, that I, I do think uh, to pick up on one thing I mentioned, the, the um, uh, uh, a piece I was proud of that I wrote last year before the pandemic, Anna Naprepko, who's amazing, uh, sang the Puccini Gala at the, uh, to open the, on New Year's Eve, you know, um, three acts from three operas. And she was wonderful. And um, the Torandot was new for her, brand new and tremendous, just tremendous, act two. And uh, okay, and I wrote, I reviewed it. About a week later, I wrote a notebook saying, well, if Puccini had been there, he would have said, well, this is all great and very flattering, but gee, does this, this Netrebko soprano, does she only sing old operas? Does she only sing operas that are a hundred years or older? Because when all those operas were new, the public couldn't get enough of new opera. All those sopranos fought over those roles, you know, to, to date, be singing the next Puccini opera, mm -hmm. you know, and somehow we have to get back to that, to that, we have to really, really try to cultivate new operas and new composers for opera and, and do much, much more to pull composers into the companies, into the Met too, and to, to foster these new works. And I know that singers with the kind of curiosity that both of you have, and especially, you know, um, singers right out of conservatories and stuff, would be eager, you know, to, to do new things, to do new roles and, you know, like, um, and have pieces written for them, you know, to sing. So sure. that's what that's what I think opera has to do a, a whole lot more of. And um, it, it's, it, it, that bel canto, I mean, I'm sorry, the uh, Verismo era was something. I mean, the, the public was just hungry for new, for new stuff, you know, for new work. Um, and it's funny, even when, when Caruso, who premiered a lot of operas, sang a lot of new or recent operas, when he sang something like Radames and Aida, that piece was newer than like uh, Peter, you know, than Billy Budd is today. You know, even, even that wasn't that old a piece. You right. Know, like, uh, so, um, hard, it's hard to wrap your head around that, isn't it? Yeah. So <laughs> opera has to do better at that. And singers can play a part. And that it's saying, hey, you know, I'm ready. I would love to do it. You know, I would, um, I I'm eager. So use our voices. Use our voices, yeah. In many ways. I have a silly question. Sure. I know that you are big friends with Virgil Thompson, proponent, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Have you ever had to review someone who is your friend? Uh, that's very, um, uh, that's a very good question. Um, I would say no, uh, I, because I don't, um, 
it's, uh, I, I have a couple composers who are very good friends and I, I simply can't, it's just off bounds. I can't, I can't do that. Um, it, it's uh, in Virgil Thompson, when he was in his day as a critic, when he was alive, the, um, he was shameless in the 40s and 50s, or, you know, reviewing all, um, reviewing people he knew and putting down people he didn't like. And uh, um, their, their conflict of interest was shameless back then. But no, at the times, they're very, very careful about this, rightly so. It's funny you mentioned this. I, I, another piece I, I wrote a few months ago that I was proud of was about the, Peter, the pianist Peter Serkin, who was almost my age. He was just a year older. And I revered him. I just thought he was an amazing guy and from we were both baby boomers and we thought a lot and we were in touch a lot we spoke on the phone and emailed and stuff and but we were never quite friends we were sort of sort of friends you know like yeah, yeah. and 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 i wrote about the the uh, that it was sad you know that in a way that it, we could have been these great friends and we were sort of friendly and friends but not really and i sort of early on figured, well, I can do more for music and I can certainly do more for this great artist by being a critic, you know, which didn't mean I couldn't be, see him now and then and, you know, and exchange private notes sometimes and stuff, but I had to know where to, I couldn't go too far. Yeah. Um, uh, so no, I, I, I don't, um, people think that you would, they assume that critics become friends with these artists, but you don't be, I think I've, I'm friendly with many artists. I think Renee would, would say that about us, that we're friendly. You know, we, we, th we feel warmly and want good things for each other, you yeah. know, but we're, we're not friends, you know, we, we don't socialize. We, but that's know. difficult. A, a person in your position and an artist in our position, yeah. then they would say that, oh, well, if you were to do a review or someone else at the, the New York Times were to do a review and give you a favorable review when the performance was, mm, they say, well, that's because they're friends with blah, blah, blah. And I, I get that. That's a, a casualty of our profession. Right? Yeah, yeah, you can. But it doesn't mean you can't, um, I mean, I love doing interviews with people because, of, because it's a moment where you can sort of find out a lot more and find out, re realize who each other are as people or what we're doing right now, you know, yeah. like, um, and which is wonderful. And, um, and you know, I, I love that, but yeah, the actual, it doesn't cross the line into, um, like Alan Gilbert, when he showed up at the Philharmonic, I was, I was a big booster of him. I, I thought, uh, he was going to really do exciting things and and so, some important stuff. I, I was a bit, I was a fan, you know, and I interviewed him many many times. But always, I mean, I I had a lot of conversations with him, but always in the context of some interview or some story I was writing. Sure. We didn't hang out. You know? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you God. Know, and also, I mean, it's a question of degree. If one night after some performance that I wasn't covering. Um, of some people went out and Alan Gilbert had joined us, you know, or, um, and I had a drink with him. It, that, that wouldn't matter. That'd be okay. Yeah. But that's socially, that's a, yeah. I get it. Yeah. Um, how happy are we that Alan Gilbert is doing well after COVID? That was, yes, I, I hear he's doing much better. Yeah. It's, um, it's, uh, uh he, he's, you know, youngish and healthy and he, he, it sounds like it's going to be okay, but yeah, yeah. he, he's, uh, 
yeah, it, it's a relief. This has been very scary, and you know the it's it's easy for for us, everybody on to some degree, we all can't help but being worried about ourselves, our own world, our own field. And in classical music, the economic devastation has been terrible. But of course, we all know, we all know what it's loss of life and loss of health. Those are the real concerns, of course, you know, worldwide. And we all know that. And classical music has had their share of losses too, the share of impact from it. But that of course is what drives everybody's fears and concerns and our effort. But the economic impact has been terrible and especially on the performing arts. You know, Unbelievable. I mean, it's just, you know, I was thinking when this happened, I think I wrote this too, four days after 9-11, the New York City Opera was back with the Flying Dutchman, a new production. That they, within a week, Broadway was back. By the end of that September, everything, you know, Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center, even restaurants, most of them were, were all back. It was like New York's way of saying, take that. E even this attack is not gonna stop what, what really matters to life here, you know. But who could have imagined that sitting next to somebody at the Metropolitan Opera would be risky? you know, or being a member of a chorus standing on stage and singing would be risky. Yeah. We wouldn't have imagined such a thing, you know, like. <laughs> a pandemic in our lifetime, we can think about all different things, but, and who would have thought that arts in especially were going to be hit so hard, every aspect of the arts. And, and I wrote about, I wrote a piece in celebration of crowds, you know, that opera especially, you have the singers on stage, the chorus crowded on stage, the musicians crowded in that pit, people crowded in the aisles, you know, and then you go into Lincoln Center Plaza, it's full of crowds, and then you go home on the subway. And New Yorkers and opera lovers love that. You love the crowds. You want to be part of the crowds. That's part of the experience, you know. Um, will we get that, you think? Yes, we have to, and we will. I'm sure we will, yeah. Um, but it, it um, yeah, we must, I think we will. And vaccine, you know, once everybody's, it's, it's complicated, but I think we will, we have to. We I have hope to. so. I, I think what's heartbreaking in the arts is that we don't know what the devastation is going to be. We don't know it yet. We don't know how much talent we've lost because people have just had to, to forge different paths. Yeah, I, I mean, I do, you're so right. I feel especially for those right out of college, right out of conservatory age, where as you both know, it's those years. Yes. Maybe you're still finding yourself, you know, uh, but you're also making connections, you're figuring it out, your path, yeah. you're networking, you know, you get this experience. Mm -hmm. Like those are crucial years, crucial, you know. Um, but you know, I have to say, we've, we've interviewed a lot of young artists and they really seem even more driven now the ones that we've interviewed they're they're finding different creative ways to to keep opera alive and for them to forge ahead and they're really going to be they are the future of opera it's not me right. it's not carrie it's these young kids that are really yeah. finding and defining the future of opera so yeah. we want to give them all this information and you helping them with all this information you know if we can help them at all it, find their way then right. 
Please. Shall yeah. we? Carrie? Oh, is it rapid fire? Are you ready are, for rapid are you, Tony, oh, are you sure. ready for rapid fire? Yeah. I'll do my best. Rapid, I'm usually not, I think I, um, uh, I, I think I would say of myself that I'm a very intelligent and thoughtful <laughs> person. I'm not so quick necessarily. Quickness is not my thing. But okay, yeah, let me you can call it mildly rapid fire. Okay, mildly <laughs> rapid. <laughs> okay. What is your favorite word? My favorite word, maybe um, elegant. I think because it's nice and um, it means so many things, um, and it's very useful in music and the arts. Um, it's it's just vague enough that it can mean various things, but. Uh, uh, but but um, elegant singers, I love elegant singers. Elegant yeah. singers. Yeah. So then, what would be your least favorite word? Uh, least favorite? I don't know. Uh, maybe scrappy, because it, for the same reasons, it's it's too vague. It doesn't. Um, mm -hmm. it, it implies that oh, you know what we mean. And I uh, see. I can't help thinking of this as a critic because, and using yeah. deploying deploying language and. Uh, it's just, uh, I've probably been guilty of using it earlier on, but I think I haven't for a long time. And uh, um, okay. you have to be more precise than that, I think. Okay. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Like to attempt? Um, well, I, I, I mean, maybe this is cheating, but I, I was a teacher and I always wanted to be a teacher. Um, and maybe this is also cheating because it also is, uh, partly what I do, but the other thing would be to be a writer, a fiction writer. Oh, you know? okay. Um, because I, I, I do, um, I've got, I do feel I have, I'm a writer, you know, and I'm comfortable okay. doing it. And, uh, but, uh, but profession totally outside of writing or, or the arts, I'm not sure. I think when I was a kid, I had wanted to be a doctor, but that was mostly my, uh, my parents, I think, trying to put that into me. <laughs> Is there one thing that you for sure never ever want to to be to do a profession you just profession is any kind of business anything um, anything in business um, it's just uh, not my thing it's funny when we think about running things uh, I think I could if I suppose I were running an opera company uh, I I'd have I'd have unlimited number of ideas about it. Mm -hmm. But the whole business aspect of it would flummox. I wouldn't know what to say, you know, like. I break out in hives thinking about that, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, favorite cuss word in any language? Um, let's see, probably, um, well, I, I know uh, my, uh, my favorite is Mori Donato from Tosca. When, when, in, New, in New York apartments, as you may, may know, we all we don't have many, few of them have screens, and even up on ours on the 14th floor, we get flies and things. So when I go on the warpath against a fly, if it's been a real fight, I always when I finally kill it, I say Mori Donato. That's a good one for both of us too. Yeah. Serious question: What has the last year taught you, if anything? Um, not to take anything for granted. Um, uh, 
in the, in the arts, but also in our lives in terms of just being able to see friends, hug them, have dinner in your own apartment. Is that too much to ask for? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. hi, it's so good to see you and give the person a big hug. You know, like, it's like, uh, um, or, you know, not to be too personal or too revealing, but the, um, my uh, last year in April, my father was 99, he died. And, uh, and he had been very, very, you know, so that's not a sad story. I mean, he had such a long, rich, rich life. Right. And, and, um, and really he was very active right up all, all, until like just a couple months before he didn't live far from me on Long Island. And uh, so of course that was sad, but okay. So that's, that's in terms of the stories we know of people dying, that was a good story, a good life story because it was right. so long and rich, you know, right. and, but like many, many families, we could not do anything in terms oh. of memorial or funeral or anything. Oh. My brother and sister live in New England and their families and they, they, I still, it's been a year and a half. I still haven't seen my sister, but yeah. we are, my husband and I are going, at the end of May, we're going up to Boston. This Now everybody's vaccinated, yeah. we can do that. And finally in, the, in the fall, sometime at this restaurant my father loved on Long Island, we're this Italian restaurant, we're going to have a kind of gathering and memorial. Love and it. but even even that, I mean that really, I did learn that that, you know, like wedding, like weddings. There's no wedding I've ever been to that couldn't have been a little earlier or a little later. You a couple finds a good time. Right. And if it needs to be postponed, that's okay. You find another time. You right. Know, like, Funerals in everything stops in everyone's lives and the whole family, everything stops immediately. Yeah. Everyone comes together immediately. Right. That's what you do. Right. You know? That's just what happens. Right. No one thinks twice about that, mm -hmm. of course. And that all of that, I know many families who had to just couldn't do that. So that was a big, big loss. So that's, it's one of the things that we, you know, and just the other day we, we had a friend over here for dinners the first time in a year, you know, wow. and I mean, so it's amazing that, 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 but that's, it's all, it's going to start, you know, spiraling now. It's going to happen more and more. We hope, we hope, we hope. But maybe we'll see you in the fall uh, yes. for the, for the Tosca. But we yes. have one last question, right? Do we have one oh, last yes, question? I'm sorry. Oh, one more, one last question. One of our faves. Oh, if heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say as you walk through the pearly gates? Um, yes, I would like him to say, let me show you where all your loved ones are, your friends and loved ones. They're waiting for you, you know, like that's what I'd like, yeah. I hope it happens, you know, I hope for all of us it happens that we get to give him one more hug or... Right. Or party for eternity. Party, party <laughs> for eternity, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for, for your time, Tony. For your time, my sure. goodness, thank you. For your yeah. knowledge and information, amazing. Well, as I, practically the first thing I said is thank both of you for what you do, which is harder than what I do. And, and um, really at the core of everything that we love about this art form. We love it.
Miss it, love it. Yes, I mean, I've been I've been so fortunate to go out and do a few things, but I got to tell you, it it's it's slightly soul sucking, yeah. because every one of them except for one two have been with mm -hmm. new audience, and I know that's not that's not opera as you say. It has to yeah. be. So we're working yeah. for that. Yeah. yeah, slowly but surely. Be well. Okay. And stay Thank safe. you so much. See you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Take care.